The Buddhism and Breath Summit took place online in 2021 with a group of researchers exploring Buddhist practices of working with the breath or winds of the body. The event was co-hosted by me, Francis Garrett, and Pierce Salguero, and co-sponsored by the Robert H. N. Ho Family Foundation Center for Buddhist Studies at the University of Toronto and Jivaka.net. The following talk is entitled, Winds in Transit, Experiencing Breath in Translation. And it's delivered by Dr. Ronit Yoeli Tlalim, who's a scholar of the transmission of medical ideas across the Silk Roads and the author of a 2021 book called Reorienting Histories of Medicine, Encounters Along the Silk Road. You can watch the video of this talk and find other resources from the Buddhism and Breath Summit at jivaka.net. That's J-I-V-A-K-A, jivaka.net, N-E-T. Heinrich Jeske, a 19th century Moravian missionary to Ladakh, is mostly known among scholars of Tibet for his pioneering 1881 Tibetan English Dictionary. In his entry on Lung, a fundamental concept of Tibetan medicine and Tibetan Tantric Buddhism, very commonly translated into English as wind, breath, or vital energy, Following his definition of the term in its medical context, he added, These notions concerning Lung are one of the weakest points of Tibetan physiology and pathology. Strong words for a dictionary. Yeshka's dictionary was but a means to an end. His foremost task as missionary to Tibet was to translate the Bible, the New Testament, that is. Like with cross-cultural translations more generally, Yeshka tried to bring very alien ideas, those of Christianity in this case, using a vocabulary which had significant local associations, Buddhist in this case. The translation needed to resonate with his Tibetan Buddhist audience. It established notions, concepts, and ideas which were completely different. This obviously created profound challenges, which have been analyzed by John Bray in a number of articles. In some cases, in what would have appeared to be straightforward, simple translations, were not. One example of such a case was Yeshka's choice when seeking to translate the Greek word pneuma. He rejected the obvious choice of lung. Lung is a concept which is central to both Tibetan Buddhism and Tibetan medicine. The medical aspects of Lung are expounded in the four tantras, or the four treatises, the Gyushi, the 12th century locus classicus of Tibetan medicine, which is a Tibetan synthesis of Indian, Chinese, and some Greco-Arab concepts and practices grounded in Buddhist thinking. The Gyushi is considered to be the key text of Tibetan medicine till this day. The Gyushi's basic view of health and illness is based on the notion of the three nyepas, usually translated as humors, but which literally mean fault or trouble. And the three are lung, wind, 
tripa, bile, and pekin, phlegm. The concept of the three nyepas is derived from Indian Ayurveda, from which much of Tibetan medicine's theoretical basis is derived. The parallel triad in Ayurveda, the three doshas in Sanskrit, are vayu or vata, wind, pita, bile, and kapa, phlegm. It should be pointed out that indeed all of these translations into, into English, which are in common use, are approximations. And while might be useful to an extent, they are also problematic. The translation which is particularly problematic is that of the nyepas or the Sanskrit doshas themselves into humors, as this translation creates connections with the Greek-based system, which are not necessarily there. Some people therefore prefer to relate to them as the three pathogenic processes. Quite a mouthful. Already, the move from Sanskrit into Tibetan provided new context and new meanings for the concept of Lung and the tribe of Nyepas more generally. Unlike in earlier Ayurvedic medicine, Tibetan medical theory, as formulated in the Gyushi, was conceptualized within a Buddhist framework. Within this Buddhist framework, the three nyepas are seen as inherently linked with the Buddhist notion of the three poisons, attachment, aversion, and delusion. A further difference from the Ayurvedic one is that lung is also a central term in Vajrayana, in Tantric Buddhism, the main form of Buddhism which came from India and was adopted in Tibet. In this context, lung corresponds to a different Sanskrit term, prana, usually rendered into English as breath, but more generally referring to the process of respiration, as well to a variety of subtle inner flows within the body. These subtle inner flows or winds move in channels, known in Sanskrit as nadi and in Tibetan as ta. Leaving aside the numerous variations found in Buddhist tantric and medical texts, most descriptions agree that the human body has three main channels, one at the center of the body, one on the left, and one on the right, running from the head to the sexual organs. The Buddhist tantric practitioner investigates the movement of winds in these channels and slowly acquires the ability to control them. Tantric yogis engage in a variety of meditative practices in order to be able to, to know and control these winds. This, in turn, enables them to control the five consciousnesses as well as the mental consciousness. Through these meditative practices, tantric yogis aim to refine their physical and subtle body. The various yogic exercises 
that involve different bodily postures and breathing techniques are not only used for investigating the inner workings of the body, but also for maintaining one's health, restoring one's health if it has become unbalanced, and ultimately reaching spiritual attainment. The ultimate goal is spiritual attainment, but balancing one's wins as a way of maintaining one's health is considered important as well. In their natural healthy condition, people tend to be of either wind, bile, or phlegm type, or more commonly of a combination of these two, wind bile, wind phlegm, and bile phlegm. Illness arises when one or two of the nyepas are in excess or deficiency, or when their flow in the body is blocked. Such excesses or deficiencies arise due to a variety of conditions, including those relating to nutrition, mental state, the time of the year, the climate, the stage in life, and so on. Without a balance, any of the three nyepas can call illness. But among the three nyepas, lung is considered particularly important, as it is said to exasperate whatever other imbalance the body has. Lung has a key dual role in what in Western terms would be defined as a psychic realm and in the realm of somatic motility. According to the four tantras, the general functions of the winds are inhalation and exhalation, moving the limbs, as well as responsibility for movement of different substances within the body. Wind is also responsible for all types of mental and verbal activities. Lung links between what in Western um, terms is termed the body and mind. With its inherent crossing over between body and mind, it is a concept that calls into our attention and awareness that Western interpretations of what constitutes body and what constitutes mind is largely irrelevant when trying to understand the Tibetan medical and Buddhist modes of understanding human beings. While Yeshke perceived these ideas regarding Lung as highly problematic, fast forward a century and a half to 2015, central London, and we can observe that much has changed. It, it is hard to think of what might better demonstrate the extent to which Western perceptions of the term Lung and its implications has evolved since Yeshke gave his damning opinion on the term in his 1881 dictionary than the Welcome Collections exhibition Tibet's Secret Temple, Body, Mind, and Meditation in Tantric Buddhism, which ran in London in the winter of 2015-16, and was one of the most attended exhibitions of this popular central London venue. The focus of that major exhibition was a series of intricate murals adorning the walls of the Lukang Temple in Lhasa. Situated on a small island on a lake behind the Potala in Lhasa, the Lukang 
was built in the late 17th century during the reigns of the 5th and 6th Dalai Lamas as a private sanctuary for meditation and spiritual practice. It is not an easy task to bring those complex understandings into the busy Euston Road in central London. On the face of it, it would seem as if these secret yogic practices were the furthest you could imagine from the Wellcome Trust, whose main focus is biomedical research. But as James Petto, head of public programs of the Wellcome Collection, put it on the opening night, here was an exhibition that deals with everything that the Wellcome Collection is interested in. For example, what does it mean to be human? How do we understand the relations between body and mind? How can we understand the relations between humans and the environment? The key focus of the Lukang murals is a fascinating depiction of a tradition of exercising exercises known as Chukor combining both physical movements and breathing to stabilize and regulate one's lung. Chukor practices once taught only to advanced practitioners are now increasingly practiced in the West and even used with, within conventional biomedical settings. Approaches to body-mind, well-being, and meditation, all deriving from the Tibetan understandings of Lung, are more generally making their mark on Western methods of treatments. This very short account of transformations of the Western approach to Lung is a window to a number of a few bigger questions. Our breath accompanies us from the moment we are born and until we die. It is invisible, yet essential component of life, inhabiting a unique space between medicine, culture, psychology, philosophy, and religion. Notions of the breath reside in the meeting point between material and non-material, between the physical and the mental, as well as the, the psychological, spiritual, and religious, and as such constitute a fascinating area for exploration. Breathing is an intriguing bodily function, subject to both automatic and autonomic control. Meaning, though we breathe without needing to remember to do so, like same way our kidneys work, we can also decide to voluntary, voluntarily slow, alter, or hold our breath. Our breathing occupies a liminal position between our body and our psychological state. We know, for example, that when we are stressed, breath becomes faster and more shallow. Conversely, so many wellness approaches, many of them deriving from Asia, from yoga to mindfulness, are founded on breathing techniques which, as research has been showing, contribute both to a healthier body and a more stable, relaxed mind. 
while breath is seemingly pan-human in its very basic essence, when observed cross-culturally, it is striking how many of the ideas associated with it are so different from one culture and historical period to another. In Tibetan context, till this day, for example, breathing problems would often be seen as linked with what would be categorized in the West as psychological issues. Looking at breath from a cross-cultural point of view allows us to see how different religious and philosophical points of view on the breath are linked with different medical frameworks and conceptions of the body and how these idea ideas change over time and between cultures. Breath has also had a major place in humanity's quest for religious understanding. In religious terms, breathing has been taken by most religions as evidence of divine presence. The centrality of breath in defining humanity has focused on trying to understand what it is that gives life to humans and under what circumstances can death be defined. From a pan-religious point of view, we can say that the notion of breath, along with related notions of vitality and energy, have been associated with views of the soul and with questions regarding the mortal and immortal aspects of human life. The close association between breath, spirit, self, and soul is found in various cultural and religious contexts seem to be the link between bodily and spiritual aspect, aspects of an individual being, the breath of humans has been seen as what makes possible a state of both bodily and mental equilibrium. Some of these understandings can have concrete implications in healthcare. In the Life of Breath project, of which I was a part of, we were trying to understand how one's preconceptions of one's breath can have an effect on their actual breathing. This is significant, especially in treating breathlessness, and especially in the many cases where there is no clear physiological explanation to a patient's breathlessness. In such cases, the treating physician would try to inquire whether there might be other, perhaps psychological issues, for example, excessive stress, which might be causing breathlessness. Some patients get very upset by the mere suggestion and say things like, but doctor, I am really breathless. From anthropological work, we know that the way of perceiving one's breath, as well as notions of self-diagnosis, may differ significantly in different cultural settings. Amongst Tibetans living in India, for example, people who self-diagnose breathlessness would often explain that they're experiencing high lung, deriving from example, from causes we would label as psychological. 
very much in line with the approach of the very notions explained in traditional Tibetan medicine. As medical anthropologists have documented, this approach leads Tibetan patients of breathlessness also to be open to treatments which focus on their mental states, much more so than many of the breathlessness patients which are seen by the breathlessness clinicians of the Life of Breath project. While breath is invisible and normally taken for granted, what and how we breathe governs so much of how we feel, act, and live. Although all humans breathe in a way which is physiologically similar, looking at breath from a historical, religious, philosophical, and anthropological perspective reveals that so much of how we perceive and relate to our breath is culturally specific. The openness and popularity of the Tibetan exhibition at the Welcome Collection has shown that there is much openness these days towards Asian ways of thinking about the body-mind connection. I think that analyzing translations and cultural translations of breath and its related notions reveals a fascinating arena where different terms and concepts also lead to different ways of experiencing.